This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hi, this is Gary Graham, Ambassadors of All in Star Trek. You're listening to Warp 5. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, Boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated Enterprise show. I'm your host, Floyd Dorsey, and I'm joined, as always, by the chief engineer and co-pilot, Brandon Shea-Matala. How's it going, Brandon? Good. I like big music. <laughs> yes, you like the beats and shouting? I like the beats and shouting. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't, watch, I didn't watch it again, so I couldn't remember exactly what she said, but I knew you'd catch what I meant. <laughs> right. And Brandon and I are happy to have two special guests on the show with us tonight. Our first guest is former Warp 5 and Standard Orbit co-host, Jeff Harlan. Welcome back, Jeff. Hey, it's good to be back. Uh, I'm a big fan of classical music, too. Uh, (laughs) Right. It must be classical, right? Very good, very good. And also joining us is Warp 5's newest associate producer, Justin Oser. Welcome to Warp 5, Justin. Hi, so happy to be here for my first episode of Warp 5. Very good, very good, very good. So, Boomers, for this episode of Warp 5, we're going to be doing something a little special. We're actually going to be talking some Star Trek Beyond and its connections to the Enterprise Beyond! So, just before we even get started, I'm going to have to do the spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Star Trek Beyond yet... You're not a Star Trek fan. No, we won't go there. We won't go oh, there. Oh, sorry, sorry. We don't want to start that fire. But I highly recommend that you go watch it before listening to this episode because we are about to spoil it big time. And let's just say there are a few Enterprise references in this movie. So if you are an Enterprise fan and you haven't seen Beyond yet, trust us. You want to go watch this movie. Uh, we are definitely going to be analyzing, dissecting it tonight. So we'll pause. The, go ahead and pause the podcast. Go with, watch the movie then come back and listen to us. So there's the warning for you. So basically Jeff and I wanted to have this conversation since last summer. Jeff, we were talking on the side about all kinds of things about this movie and about the enterprise references and about everything that was going on, but we actually couldn't record it as a warp five. And basically it's because that was before Brandon took over as editor. And at that time we had, Right. So we had Christopher, we had Christopher Jones editing and he's in Japan and he wasn't actually going to get to see beyond until October. Yeah. That was after I had to leave the show because I was going back to college. Right. Exactly. So we we decided to hold it for now because just in a couple days, it's going to be the one year anniversary of Star Trek beyond. Exactly. Exactly. So that was, it was kind of funny because I couldn't even ask, I didn't even want to ask Christopher because I didn't want to spoil it at all for him. At the time, I didn't even want to ask because I, I didn't know how much he knew about anything about it. So I was like, you know, hey, we want to talk about Beyond on Enterprise. And, you know, well, why? Uh, I can't tell you. <laughs> you know, it's already been spoiled. So let's just go ahead and jump in here. Justin, what were your overall impressions of Beyond? I, I love Star Trek Beyond. I, I loved it when I saw it in the theaters. Um, I've loved it when I've uh, I saw it twice in the theaters and uh, saw it on Blu-ray recently. It's it's definitely my favorite Kelvin Timeline movie, one of my favorite of all the Star Trek movies. I just love so much about it. Uh, I feel like it 
it has the the right tone. There's lots of great character moments. Jayla's amazing. I love the Franklin. I mean, there's just so much about it that that I love, and I really enjoyed rewatching it for to prepare for this podcast. Very good, very good. And Jeff actually was at the premiere mm-hmm. in San Diego. So Jeff, what was that? What was that like? That was a lot of fun because uh, that was right around the same time as my mother-in-law's birthday, and. So my wife and I decided to take her with us when we went and my wife used her, uh, we had a, a pass for each of us plus one. So my wife took her mom. I took my niece who was visiting from out of state and she's a, a music major. Uh, she's actually just finished her first year of college and she, uh, was just really into it because they had the live orchestra there playing the music as the movie is going. And she's just enraptured by that part of it. And it was a lot of fun for all of us. And they started off the movie getting us all into the mood for watching this with this huge outdoor IMAX screen. And they're playing an episode of the original series on it as we're walking into the venue. And uh, it was Spock's I, brain. No, <laughs> but I'm, I'm walking in and we see all of about like five seconds of the opening. And I look at my mother-in-law and say, that's the Corbett might maneuver. And she's like, how the heck did you know that? And I was like, first, Shouty Spock. And there's only two episodes with Shouty Spock, and in only one of them is he wearing blue. <laughs> yep, definitely. So, well, Brandon. Actually, no, I take that oh. back. He's wearing blue in both of them. It's, it's the one that he has the black collar. Right, right. Yeah. So, Brandon, what did you think about Star Trek Beyond? I'm not a fan of this movie. So, and I know that I'm in the minority on this, but I, I was really, really, really pumped for this and I was excited for it because I would, I went along and I watched all the Justin Lin Fast and Furious movies. I went along with Mike Schindler on, uh, at that time, commentary Trek stars, and I was getting really excited for it. And I don't know. I just, I went and saw this movie and like from the first viewing of it, I was disappointed. I thought it was slow. I didn't buy the villain and his motivation. There was way too many references in it for me that it was just, they were slapping you in the face every 15 seconds with a Star Trek reference. And it's like, like, Ooh, remember that episode when they said this? And I was just like, Oh my goodness. It was just too much. And I don't know, like, I don't I don't understand why people love this movie so much. I just, I missed it. I've seen it four times, right? So I saw it twice on opening night. I was, that's how excited I was. I bought back-to-back tickets to see this movie. And I sat and stayed through it. And after the first one I watched with my wife, and then she left and she asked me, like, what'd you think? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I thought of this right now. And then we watched it again and I went home and I'm like, blah. So, I don't know. I th- I think, personally, I could be wrong. I think people were just so happy that this wasn't Into Darkness that they just say it's the best thing ever because it didn't have Khan in it. And, like, I don't know. That's my only... That's the only thing I can think of is they're just so happy it's not Into Darkness that it's great. And that's what I think that... The same thing is with um, Episode 7 of Star Wars. They were just so happy it wasn't the prequels that they just thought it was great, and it wasn't. Because, you know, Episode 7 was terrible. I don't know, right. but this is not the Star Wars podcast. So I know I'm in the minority here, but, you know, I, yeah, I'm done. That's very interesting. That's very interesting, because you're you're the alternative factor, you know. Alternative factor is way better than Star Trek Beyond. <laughs> wow. <Those> fighting words. <laughs> wow. That's so interesting, because, like, some of the things that you're saying that, kind of turned you off or were distracting to you it a lot of people that's why they yeah. say they liked it so much i know i know i'm in the minority here and honestly even if you go back to the last two days of our from there to re- here rewatch I, like i say this in there i on i honestly think into darkness is better than this movie and upon repeated viewings of into darkness and whatnot inner darkness only falls apart for me in the last like 10 minutes of the movie and you know, In a Darkness, when I went to the theaters to see In a Darkness, I didn't see it again for like four years. I was so upset with In a Darkness. I saw it once in theaters and I'm like, this is terrible. This is garbage. And I didn't see it again. And I, I watched it again 
uh, because they were they were going through the comics on literary treks, and I'm like, I'm really enjoying this. And the comic books really got me excited for the Kelvin timeline again. I'm like, yeah, these are really awesome. So I'm gonna watch these movies again. And I watched it, and I'm just like, these movies are not very good. And but Inner Darkness, I watched it, and I'm like, this isn't as bad as I remember it. And then it gets to the end, and I'm like, yeah, this is as bad as I remember it. And then I had to watch it again for the from there to here rewatch. And I'm like, you know what? It's really only the last ten minutes that this movie falls apart for me. Well. For me, this I really liked it because I it was the thi- it was it was a movie that was more like a original series episode, like an extended original series episode. That's kind of how I felt, you know. Like I liked the uniforms, I liked the the walkthrough uh, monologue that he had. Um, so I actually I liked the movie like right away. Um, and yeah, then but the I don't, little that's reference- what I don't understand, like. There's no episodes of the original series where he does that. Well, I know it, it wasn't that. I guess it was just he was filling in the blank that we had for Shatner's Kirk. You know, I could see Shatner's Kirk doing that for some reason. You know, I mean, it was like the in-between episodes that was what we actually got to see. Like, this is an in-between type episode or adventure or something that happened. An and in-between quill. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't I don't know. I, I actually, I like Beyond... I like 2009 I thought was better than Ender Darkness. I think I like this one better than 2009. So we're, we're like flip flopped on the opinions of that, but that's cool because if we all thought the same, then it would be really boring. (laughs) So I'm glad to be the dissenting voice. I mean, just ask, uh, just ask Ken Tripp. He knows that I love Jaws the Revenge. I mean, like whatever. I like all the Jaws movies. (laughs) I don't know. All right. So let's go, let's just go ahead and get right into this. Uh, Beyond has a ton of Easter eggs and a ton of references that pretty, I think they touch almost every series. If we go back and think about it, or we could probably work a little bit, we can make it touch every series and several of the original series movies, but enterprise is probably the deepest referenced series in this movie. So right away there was internet chatters all over the place because they weren't sure how in the world this could work. Uh, f- first off, the temporal incursion happened bef- after Enterprise and before the Franklin would have happened. So that you could it's say if it wasn't after completely. The, the Franklin would have crashed. Oh, okay. Okay. But when you're, they're looking at this, they're trying to make it to where this is. How did this connect to Enterprise? How, why would the events of Enterprise actually show up in a Kelvin Enterprise or universe? And the Enterprise actually, like the Enterprise series, is in the prime timeline and it is not affected by the temporal incursion. So this kind of gets the timey wimey thing gets going on, and people get kind of confused and they didn't understand why in the Kelvin universe we would have prime things that were being referenced, even though we have Prime Spock, you know, in the other two movies. So let's just jump right into it. The USS Franklin. It was mentioned as being the first Warp 4 ship in Starfleet. So Jeff, help out some listeners that are not so sure about that. How could the US Franklin be the first Warp 4 ship in Starfleet if we have the NX-01? Well, the they're talking about the Franklin disappeared in uh, about two years after the, the Federation was formed. But they never said that's when it was built. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, the Enterprise itself showed that they p- finally got past Warp 2 in Archer's time. Uh, and that was in 2140, about 10 years or so before uh, Enterprise started. So you got a 10-year gap there between breaking Warp 2 and breaking Warp 5. And so in that time, somewhere in there, probably, say, you know, a, two, three years before Enterprise starts, they send out start making ships like the Franklin using spin-off of the warp 5 technology. They can't quite get warp 5 yet, but they got warp 4. So they'll build some ships that can do that. And then after the Federation's formed, you know, then they start refitting them, they install some uh, some transporters that are a little bit of a step up from what they had in the Enterprise. Um they, you know, make some other modifications. But I mean, looking at the proportions of this ship, you know, the the bridge view screen that you can see from the outside and everything, that ship is tiny. I mean, the Enterprise was pretty massive uh, by comparison. 
I mean, it looks to be about two or three times bigger than the Franklin. So this is a small ship. And if you remember, they had the uh, um, the Intrepid type ships uh, that showed up on Enterprise. Um, you know, at the uh, uh, in the episode the uh, the ex- the Expanse, right? Um, yeah, and they show up and fight with the Klingon bird of prey at the uh, beginning of the episode when they fight, first come back to the solar system. And right. those are about the same size as about what the Franklin would be. And they're also of about the same era. They're used, you know, they were built, you know, based on what they learned when they were designing and building the NX-01. So Justin, what did, what did you think about it when you heard that this was the first warp four ship? Was that confusing for you? At first, I think it, it was confusing, but, you know, then I think as I read more about it and saw what people thought about it and, you know, heard people talk about what, what Jeff's talking about, I think it makes sense. Just a little side note, though, when <laughs> I think it's interesting when you're talking about, you know, Enterprise not being affected by uh, by the Kelvin incident. Actually, Aaron Harvey would disagree with you and thinks that it can go both ways. <laughs> yeah, the uh, all the time travel that would have happened after that that never happens anymore because either someone isn't born or events happen differently in their life that would then somehow, you know, have a, a ripple effect because they don't go back in time or when they go back in time, things happen differently. Yeah. But regardless, I think that uh, the, the explanation makes sense about the, you know, the warp four ship. I mean, I think what, when I was actually watching the movie, one of the things that, that I thought about is the registry number is NX three, two, six, which is, it's a nice tribute to Leonard Nimoy because March 26th is his birthday, but you know, that's a fairly high number. And I guess if, you know, it's, it's recommissioned after the founding of the Federation, maybe that would make sense. But, you know, that sounds like, like quite a lot of, of ships and, and it isn't clear whether, you know, it's in the same class as the NX-01 or it's some, some different kind of designation. So I don't know if I saw that explained, but that was one of the things when I was seeing the movie that I thought, wow, that seems like a relatively high number. Right. So, Brennan, what what did you think when you heard that this was a the first warp four ship? I never really had a problem with it being the first warp four ship because you know, you know, in my head they could have done everything. Like, yeah, we can we can get planes that go up to you know, and trains that go up to like whatever Mach twenty two or whatever. I don't know my numbers. I'm just whipping something out, right? But it doesn't mean that we build every single one of them that can go that fast. You know, right. like you know, not every single train can go as fast as that train that goes across. China or whatever it is, right? So t- fine, they just they built warp two ships and they built a warp five ship. Well, we don't need to get that crazy, so let's build some warp four ships. And this is the first warp four ship. So I never, I never really cared about that. But again, so like then, basically in a nutshell, this is what Star Trek fans like to do: is they like to come up with explanations for for things. But I mean, like this is part of the problem with the movie is that we've got to we've got to try and retcon all this stuff in our head after the fact. Like, there's this much stuff in it that we have to retcon, which makes it a weak plot. But retconning <laughs> is part of what makes Star Trek fun, oh, <laughs> at least for me. <laughs> sure. If they explained it all in the movie, we wouldn't have a show to talk about tonight. Oh, you know, if they so, try to explain it all I, in the movie, it'd be reading, five hours. I started reading comic books around the same time as Crisis on Infinite Earths, so retcons don't bug me at all. <laughs> I loved well, when Captain Kirk was in charge of the Excelsior between Star Trek three and four. That was awesome. <laughs> sure, go write a comic <laughs> hey, or a novel about comics. it. <laughs> so for me, like when when they say it's the first warp four ship, I think most people think that this is the first ship that could go warp four. And the NX-01 is the first ship that could go warp five. So what if the Franklin is way, is a lot older than the NX-01? Like I actually had a, like a thought of instead of Archer and Robinson, you know, fighting it out as test pilots, trying to see who's going to be the new captain, they, they would have actually piloted or been in command of these type of ships before the NX-01 was actually developed, while they were working on the Warp 5, that they would have been getting their their uh, command legs under them by by actually commanding Warp 3 or Warp 4 ships. Well, so, that would make sense. Right. But I'm thinking on this, the Franklin, what if the Franklin is like 30 years old? You know, or 20 years old or something. Well, if it, and it wasn't is, for... Uh... If it wasn't for first flight, then yeah, sure. But 
first right. play we see, they didn't, they couldn't even hit warp two until Archer did it in uh, twenty one forty. Right. <laughs> so that that kind of that kind of messed me up on that. You know that. So my in my thought, I'm trying to think of the Franklin is somewhere between first flight and Broken Bow. I think it has that's to. And it, that's has to that's be. still eleven years that you can play with. Yeah, but it has to be in that period because of of the design i mean it's kind of between the nx alpha and the nx01 i think Mm -hmm. right so that's and then also the franklin's uh bridge and just everything about it seems a lot more crude than the nx01 like the nx01 seems a lot more polished it seems like it's more advanced so in my mind i always think of the franklin as being an older ship than the nx01 so well, by the that's, time we see the Franklin, it was older than the NX-01. Well, yeah, yeah, that's Because it was already at least, you know, 20 years old by that point. So what threw people off, though, was the NX-326, which I do, mm-hmm. I think that was a reference to Leonard Nimoy's birthday. Yeah, they've so, said that it was, yeah. Okay, so that just threw, that throws a lot of people off, because they think, well, if it's NX-326, then that means it's 325 ships more or after the NX-01, but... Whatever, what it, what if it's the Franklin class, you know, of warp four ship and they just aren't very, uh, they're not very creative with their designations and they just call, they call those NX, you know, Franklin class NX ships, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. That's, well, it could be after, uh, the Federation was founded that, uh, that's when they started using the NX instead of as NX class as this is an experimental model. And then NCC is for the regular registry. And then all the ships that existed before that got new registry numbers. Right. And so maybe this is, you know, 325. Or it could be just that, you know, they had a lot of losses in the Romulan War. And then when this was built, uh, that's what uh, they were up to. Okay. Well, I could I, I could see that even these would have been fighting against the Romulans, you know, mm-hmm. later. And I could see how these could have been, they could have been there to protect earth or they could have been maybe somewhere else, you know, as far as uh, when the Zindi were attacking or trying to attack at the end of season three. So basically what, what Jeff, you actually had a theory about where we could have had like Franklin class. If we call it that Franklin class type ships, if these were built we had a few of these already and, and Archer had experience being a commander of say one of these ships before he got the NX-01. I'm filling in a lot of gaps with that. Jeff, what did you, what did you think could have been why they weren't there to protect earth? Well, what I was thinking was that, um, the Zindi attack, they refit the enterprise. They shoot, send it off as fast as it can go, which is a lot faster than a warp four ship can go. So it gets to the expanse way ahead of everything else. Even if they left before the enterprise, and then by the time these other slower ships get to the expanse to reinforce the Enterprise, it's already over. Archer's already met with the Zindi Council, and things are uh, in the last couple of episodes of Season 3. And so they get there, and there's nothing left for them to do. And they're just twiddling their thumbs, saying, well, okay, now what? And maybe Edison was on one of these ships, and he's kind of you know, gung-ho to go and fight the Zindi that attacked Earth, and then he gets there, and he just can't do anything. And okay. that maybe that uh, drives his anger. Very good. So, yes, we you mentioned Balthazar Edison, Captain Balthazar Edison. He is the poster child for disgruntled employee, apparently, here. <laughs> so... Um, uh, I think he would be disgruntled employee of the century. Yeah. Right. Disgruntled of the last for a century. really long time. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, Justin, what what did you how did you feel when you heard that when they revealed that Crawl was actually used to be a Mako? How did how, what did that make you do? Well, um, <clears throat> you know when when that was revealed in in the in the movie, you know I had to, I had to process that. I mean, I I think so. Like my experiencing Beyond is the first time that I saw it. I was loving everything, but I was like, "What is up with this guy Crawl? What's his motivation? Why is he doing all of this?" And then when they reveal things um, in the end that he was he was a Mako, he was a soldier, and then when the Federation was formed, he became a captain, and and that just really 
wasn't his thing that he was he was born a soldier i think a lot of that fell into place in it and it made made sense for me i just thought you know those are where of course some of the other enterprise references come up he was a mako he fought in those indian romulan wars i really like that that background and that tie-in and it makes sense that you know over the course of a hundred years that somebody's going to kind of go a little crazy and and you know get to this point where they're just you know seething for some for some kind of revenge or or something so um it it made a lot of sense when that twist came in so that now after that when i when i see the movie you know i'm looking for when i rewatch it i'm i'm looking for all of those clues and all of those things to put it to put together and even though i loved it the first time it actually works better for me in rewatches because i know that that's coming and i can kind of anticipate it and and see what's what's coming so so actually the crawl edison connection really works well for me i know people who um, even people who like the movie have a problem with Crawl as a villain, but I think he's a great villain, and and I feel very sympathetic toward him and, and what he's he's been through. I mean, the the scene at the end, I I just really feel for for the guy and everything that he's been through. And Brandon, what did you think when we found out that he actually was human and he used to be a Mako? I really liked the reference to the Makos. I really did enjoy the Enterprise references, because it is a series that gets overlooked quite often. So I really appreciated that in it. I'm personally tired of the trope of the angry military officer taking revenge on everybody. Like, I'm really tired of that trope. And so when that showed up, I'm just like, oh my goodness, really? And I don't know, I didn't buy that he's, that he's like this soul-sucking vampire because of this disc that he has, you know, like, and he's prolonging his life because he's sucking all these people's souls and and he looks like whoever's soul he sucks. And, like, I don't know, it just, it didn't work for me. It just didn't work for me at all in this movie. And I don't know, like, I'm, so, I'm, I'm a Debbie Downer. I'm sorry I'm such a Debbie Downer, <laughs> but it just didn't work for me. I would. We need to find the things that did work for you. In this right. movie, there's not much. Honestly, there's really alternative factor that works for me. <laughs> okay, so if, so if they inserted an alternative factor reference inside of Beyond, would that have helped? They needed a guy falling off a cliff, going "Wah!" <laughs> <laughs> that would have worked for me. All right, nice. So okay, I'll tell you what worked for me. I'll tell you what did work for me. Okay, and it didn't work for me in the trailer, but it worked for me in the movie. Was the Beastie Boy thing? Oh yeah. Okay, that worked yeah. for me in the movie. I didn't mind yeah. that. I thought that was pretty good. I'm like, yeah, that's I like that. That's good. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a that. cheering moment in the movie, you know, when we break that out. And my boys were actually watching it with me last night, and it came on, and they came downstairs because they heard the music start, and they came running downstairs because they're flying, you know, they're going toward the wave, and then boom, the music comes on, and they're riding the wave basically, yep. and especially when the station turns it on. You know, that's like a cheering type moment. Like my boys are grinning from ear to ear when that happens. So it's so cheesy, but I like it. It's like when I was talking to you guys earlier off mic about the Royale when Data's playing craps. It's so cheesy, but I just it's fun. But it makes so, you smile. Yeah. It makes you smile. And I like I don't know, so I, I like that part of it. It worked that's, for me in the two thousand nine. It worked for me when they placed it in this movie. It did not work for me when they put it in the trailer. I actually smile a lot during this movie, so that might be why I like it. Because there are a it's lot of probably things just gas. that makes me smile. <laughs> but basically, Crawl said in his captain's log that this was an indigenous race abandoned the planet. They left behind sophisticated mining equipment and drone workforce. And they have tech that pro- prolongs life. They didn't really get into the specific of how you can drain someone's life force out of them. But um, Jeff... What did what did you think about it when they said that he, Edison is a Mako? Did you think that maybe he could have been on the NX-01, or did you have another idea? Well, like I was saying before, I was thinking he might have been on another ship uh, and during the uh, this indie conflict, and I, I think that might feed into why he was you know just kind of so disaffected, um, you know, because he wanted to be on the forefront of everything. And maybe, you know, whatever keeps happening, he keeps, you know, being, uh, you know, uh, a rimf, uh, you know, rear echelon MF. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, and 
you know, maybe through no fault of his own, and that just keeps happening to him. And then it comes time for him to, uh, uh, you know, when the Starfleet is formed uh, for the Federation, and they integrate the Makos into the uh, in Starfleet, because like Captain Kirk said, it's a, a combined service. Um, then they give him command of the Franklin, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, you've been a soldier all your life, but here, now go fly a ship. And he's like, this is not what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. Right. And so and I, it, for, I just want to say something on that. So, see, for me, I when I watched the movie, I always interpreted it that Edison was actually a Mako on the NX-01. And we didn't have to see him in the show. And that's mm-hmm. that's not something that I need for continuity's sake or whatnot. But I, because he said he was in the Zindi War. Well, and I, for me, there's only the Annex 01 in the Expanse, well, he, right? He, it, it's a little unclear. I actually have the, the quote here. When he's talking to Kirk, he says, I fought for humanity, lost millions to the Zindi and Romulan Wars, and for what? For the Federation to to sit me in a captain's chair and break bread with the enemy. So he says he fought for humanity, but then he makes a reference to like lost general. millions to the Zindi and Romulan wars, which could have just been talking about humanity in general, and that mm-hmm. maybe his fighting for humanity was more in the Romulan wars. For me, it was a little bit unclear whether he would be on mm-hmm. the NX-01 or a different ship. Yeah, see, I always interpreted that he was on the NX-01 because, because of that reference. Yeah, we didn't lose, we lost the millions on Earth when they attacked Florida, with the with the early uh, test weapon, right? Right. And we didn't lose that many people throughout the rest of the season. Right. But that's you know. But then many people were lost in the Romulan War, right? And so when you add it all up, it's millions, right? Well, I thought maybe if he was at first, I thought he was on the NX one. I thought that's the way he fought the Zindi. And then when I watched it again, and he didn't actually say that he fought in the Zindi and Romulan Wars. He said that they lost millions to the Zindi and Romulan War. So then it got me thinking, like Jeff was saying, maybe he could have been on another ship. That doesn't mean the fighting actually stopped then. I mean, the insectoids and the the reptilians probably were still in a fighting mood, even after, you know, Archer ends up in World War II alien territory you know i mean we did yeah. you know we're following archer into the past into war you know this alternate world war ii well what was actually happening in the present after that weapon was you know destroyed there could have still been some fighting going on you know well, and the other thing to consider is that during season three there were a few times where the zindi made some comments about other ships from earth Right. And later we're led to believe that that's that duplicate enterprise, but maybe it wasn't. Yeah. Oh, I mean, nice. Yeah, I think based based like when when I was rewatching season three of Enterprise last year, you know, I thought there, there's all of this focus. They're talking in these council meetings about the Enterprise and all of that, but there could have been other ships that they sent out that the Zindi chose to observe or engage or maybe send something out. Uh, against them. So I, I don't think it precludes that there weren't other ships that actually had engagements with the Zindi. See, but the way that I always watch the show, it is just the Enterprise that goes out there. That's all that they send to I'm sure they said that in the show, that they just just the Enterprise is out there. There's no other ships at that time. The way that the Enterprise plays out, they lead you to believe that there's no other ships. There's just the Annex 01. That's it. That's all they got. They're working on the Discovery. But that's all they've got is the Annex One. There's nothing. Yeah, but if there's a threat there. to humanity, you would think that you know, if when they have, maybe when they haven't heard for a while, or they're not sure how it's going, that they might send out other ships, even if they're slower, just to see what can happen. I mean, it. it I don't think what we see precludes that from happening because I don't think we're seeing everything that's happening. We're not seeing the mm-hmm. decision making that's happening on Earth. I think it's. I think you're you're right that you're led to believe that, but I think it's possible that there's other things going on that you could fit in there. That and it's a really bad idea to put all of your defense in one ship. But that's what made the the Zindi arc like that's what they they had to use to make it like this is how much of a threat it is. We've only got this one chance. That's it. Right. We got the Annex One. That's it. Well, I guess I mean I could see that because they're the only ones that can get there fast enough in time, you know. And it's them or nothing. And then Archer thinks that he's on his own. Like there's no one else is going to make it here in time. So I guess that's why I was kind of lit. I was, I was thinking that they could have been having warp two, warp three, warp four ships that were fighting the Zindi near earth just because they were all like flooding into that area, even with the big weapon, you know, I mean, there, there could have been fighting going on other places. And even after the weapon was destroyed, you're still going to have reptilians and, 
and insectoids that are looking for a fight. That's what I was thinking, you know? So I, 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 in my mind, I was thinking that there definitely could have been another, you know, a, a better or a, an opportunity for the Makos to mix it up, you know, even if they're not on the NX-01. So that's, but it would be really cool. Like right away, I just, just thought right away when I first watched that, that he was on the NX-01 and he could have mm-hmm. been, and we don't, we don't have to know that, you know, yeah. and then after it's, that, it's always still a possibility. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it wouldn't be, that'd be a cool thing that he did. And then he ends up, he, you know, he goes on and he fights in the Romulan war, you know, he cleans up the Zindi fights in the Romulan war. He gets reassigned or something once they get back to, to earth. And then he ends up, uh, Mako disbands after the Federation's formed and they make him a captain. And he didn't like that very much. So he actually said, uh, he told Ahura that he was born in a different world than you. I was born in a different world than you. We knew pain. We knew terror. Struggle made us strong, not peace, not unity. The Federation would make you believe. So I really like that. I like that because it's building the enterprise world for me. It's filling in gaps. It's telling me what these people were up to. I mean, like Tripp and Archer and Mayweather, they knew pain. They knew terror, just like this you know, like what he's saying, because they were at that time also. So also uh, kind of makes me wonder if he might've been a Terra prime sympathizer. Oh yeah. That could have definitely happened. You know how we were talking he really does not seem to like, uh, aliens. Right. That's true. And yeah. And that's ironic that if that's the case and he has to become one to keep living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, that, I thought that was very interesting where he kept mentioning the struggle made us strong, not peace, not unity. Um, later, we're, when we're talking about his motivation, basically his motivation was that he he hated Starfleet for basically ditching him. You know, they didn't try to come help find him, I guess. And that's kind of how he ended his captain's log was, you're not coming to find me. You better watch out when I come back. Next time you see me, you better watch out. That kind of There's thing. a question that's in my mind about that because he talks about being um, being ditched, and then you know Scotty seems to imply that there was some wormhole that took them somewhere. So would Edison not have been aware that a wormhole would have taken him far away and and uh, you know be able to see the stars are different or some way to figure out that he was far away and the Federation would never be able to get to him? Maybe they just didn't realize how quite how far they went. Yeah, I mean, I, I I guess so, but it's always a question when I watch the the movie. Like, hey, mm-hmm. you're kind of far away, <laughs> don't don't you know? But maybe he doesn't, or the I don't know, the instruments are damaged or something. But it's just a question that comes up, right? So then his thought was, um, we lost ourselves, but gained a purpose. This is what he told Kirk. We lost ourselves, but we gained a purpose with the means to bring the galaxy back to the struggle that made humanity strong. So basically, he's trying to recreate the 2150s feel, you know, even now. And he's got the weapon in order to do this. He wants everyone to struggle and feel terror like he grew up with. So, Brandon, what what did you think about that? I just, it's part of that trope of this angry vet. Like, I just, it. I, I don't buy that even a Mako or something like this would turn to this point of view of like, I need this weapon to destroy all these people because I'm so mad at them. I just don't understand that and I can't grasp it. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't buy that he would do that and be, and have this motivation all of a sudden. But, you know? but think like, of it, think of it if he's, if he's not a soldier, if he was a, a civilian and he feels like he's been abandoned for a hundred years. I mean, it might do the same thing to someone if, if, cause I think that kind of isolation would, could just, yeah, but know, he had his crew with him crazy. still. There was, I, I, the, so the interpretation I got is these, that survived. Yeah. Like there's more of it. There's his crew there too. Right. Well, no, I we think, don't know I think, how many survived at first because, uh, you know, where did his initial people that he fed off come from? Well, there's the, the, so some of his crew, yes. And then there's all these aliens that are living on this planet. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So soul sucking all these people. But I thought they said at one point that only three other people survived, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I I, yeah. I can I can see what you're saying, Brandon, but I think part of it is not just that <clears throat> that he was in the military or a soldier, but that 
that he's just been kind of rattling around on this planet for so long and it's a miserable existence. Okay, so let me let me just put this in a, in another context of something that I've seen recently similar to this, okay? Have you guys seen the latest episode of Star Trek Continues? Not no. yet, no. Oh, okay, well then I can't even <laughs> I don't Floyd, have you seen it? No. Try to explain. Uh, wah, wah, wah. So, so I can't even. So those who have seen it will understand. Okay, so there's a person in there who's isolated and alone for an extremely long time, and they thought they were abandoned, but, you know, like, you know, they didn't come back and want to kill everybody. And You mean like know. Thomas Riker? I mean, he didn't want to kill anybody. He's, he just wanted to sleep with Troy. <laughs> I thought he wanted to be a terrorist. After the fact, because he got all mad because everybody's like, hey, you're that Will Riker dude. No, I'm not that Will Riker dude. Well, but I mean, in the same situation, two different people might have completely different responses. So I think there's just something in, I don't know, in in Edison's way of of thinking about things or who he is that's that's led to this. But a Mm -hmm. different person Mm -hmm. might not have that same reaction. There's also the question of uh, what did that device that was prolonging his life do to his mind? Because clearly it's altering his body. It could be altering his brain chemistry, too. True. I didn't think about that. Yeah. He actually, it could be making him more aggressive or psychotic or something like that. I didn't think about that. So he actually said, tells Kirk that I read your ship's logs, Captain James T. Kirk. At least I know what I am, a soldier. So... He, he references also that, you know, what did they do? They uh, put me in a captain's chair and make me break bread with the enemy. And I'm a soldier. I'm not a diplomat, which I thought was kind of a, you know, maybe an off, off shot shooting uh, reference to Kirk when he tells, uh, what was it? Uh, can't think of the episode right now, but Kirk actually says, I'm not a diplomat. I'm a soldier. And this is Edison saying that to the all you know to Kelvin Universe Kirk. I'm I'm not a diplomat. I'm a soldier. So, looking at that, the Federation. He, I get the feeling that he was a soldier through and through. He fought in the wars. He was there. He probably had maybe PTSD on this anyway. And then all of a sudden they disband it and say we're not a military organization anymore. That's what Scotty actually says. We're a peacekeeping armada, and. We're not going to be fighting anymore. We're going to make friends. So the, he really took it very, very, very hard, I guess you could say. Um, so what do you what do you think about that? Like he's he's actually saying, I'm a soldier. There's no room for peace in my life. So what, what do you think about that, Jeff? I think that's a very narrow view of being a soldier. Uh, there's a lot more to it than just fighting. True. And that actually could lead to thinking that there must be something else going on. Like there, you know, he, um, I actually, I'm glad that you actually mentioned that with the alien text. And now my head cannon can kind of fill some of that in because that, it is hard to think that he would be that inhuman, you know, that he couldn't realize that we have peace and that we can, we can make ourselves better. We don't just have to fight to be better what we are. We can just make peace. Um, well, and if you think about, um, you know, the, the, the video that you see of, you know, that's from 100 years before of, of him and his crew, he seems like a happy-go-lucky kind of guy that's, that's enjoying himself and doesn't seem to, to be having a really tough time of it. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it could be based on, on Jeff's theory that maybe this thing for prolonging his life has affected his mind and caused him to narrow on, you know, just the, the kind of you know, a certain way of thinking of being a soldier, a certain resentment or a certain aggressiveness or, or hostility, because it seems like he wasn't actually like that before. Right. Oh yeah. And seeing him when he turns around, he smiles to the camera and he's wearing his Starfleet uniform. I wanted to see when I heard that Idris Elba was going to be on this movie, I wanted to see him in a command gold so bad, you know, it's just a human, you know, I mean, we end up seeing him at the end, but he's still kind of he's still trying to change but i wanted him i wanted to see him like in command of a ship that's that was my theory that i was hoping that he would be um that he would be like a rival to kirk you know just as a human not as an alien that's been transformed or anything like that but uh so brandon what did you what did you think about that when edison said peace is not what i was born into do you like jeff's 
theory on that? Does that help your headcanon for this movie? I I do, and like I think it's a very I think like Jeff said it best. That is a very narrow view of a soldier, and I I don't know. Maybe I just don't understand it, but that, I think that's an insulting view of a soldier myself. And uh, it's it's just so frustrating to have that, and I hate I hate that I'm repeating that word over and over. It's frustration, but you know I'm I'm liking some of the the theories that you guys are coming up with that maybe it was this alien technology that messed with his mind. I just I think it's so frustrating that you have to come up with these explanations to try and justify this terrible writing of this character. I don't know, like like uh, I don't know. Maybe so, maybe there's a comic book. You know that the Kelvin universe. They didn't do one. They actually didn't do a Beyond. I was a prequel, like like they did a. What was it called? They uh, they had Countdown. That was before Countdown and Countdown to Darkness. Right. But they didn't have a Countdown to Beyond. Right. I think that was because they had to go around and rewrite the script practically at the last minute, so they didn't have as much lead time to do a comic book. Okay. Mm. So they needed a comic book because they actually had been relying on comic books to fill in details that we have yeah the the countdown to darkness one filled in so much for uh, into darkness Mm -hmm. and then the follow-up with the con miniseries filled filled in so much for that yep and see they shouldn't have to do that either because not everybody reads the comic books you shouldn't Mm -hmm. have to read eight comic books to make your movie make sense you know like i don't know like that's I think well, they I were think doing that, that on purpose. Since, <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, the problem. It, it's sometimes. also interesting because yeah. the 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 comics and the movies tied in so closely together. Like the comment about the mud incident was actually in the in Countdown to Darkness comic. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the the dead Tribble was from the comic, yeah. and so much other stuff. And the other thing I find interesting is that uh, in the comics, they've actually uh, established that uh, Yorktown. And by extension, Ultimate, it's pretty close to the Delta Quadrant, actually. It's deep in Beta Quadrant. So the Federation hasn't even gotten that far in the Next Generation timeline, uh, or in the Prime timeline. Right. So, I mean, it's yeah. a question, you know, Crawl, is he still out there? Yeah. I, I, I think, though, like in a, in a movie that's, you know, two hours or so, where you're trying yeah. to do more than one or two things, there isn't the room to explain everything. Like if they really yeah. tried to explain everything, it would be <sighs> much longer. I really okay, I don't so. I don't buy that because Star Trek two, man, when I saw Star Trek two the first time, the Wrath of Khan, I hadn't seen Space Seed. I did not walk out of that movie saying, who the hell is this con guy and what is he doing? Why is he doing this stuff? I got everything I needed out of that movie. That's cool. And I was a quarter of the age than I was right now. That's cool because I saw Space Seed first. So I have no idea what it would be like to watch it. So that's really cool that you got to experience that. Yeah. I, uh, well, I, I have a, a, a different, probably unpopular perspective on Wrath of Khan anyway. but Because um, <laughs> I saw <laughs> wow. it first before before Space Seed. And, and it most of the movie doesn't work for me which is probably about as popular as, as Brandon's alternative factor opinion. But. Alternative factor! Woo! Pulaski's uh, greater than Crusher! Woo! But right, no, I well, mean, I, 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 can, I can see that, but I mean, I think that that uh, there's there's a lot of different directions are going in and a lot of different things that are going on. And, and Brandon, if you said earlier that the, the movie felt a little too slow for you, I think if you add additional explanation, it slows it down even more. And it adds to the time that you have to put into it. I think sometimes it's just not possible. And I probably a lot of people disagree with me, but I think there's a lot of of richness in what's going on and beyond. Whereas in Wrath of Khan, I think there was, at least for me personally, I know I've heard other opinions that there's a lot going on. For me, it doesn't feel like there's much going on in that movie, just for me personally. In Khan? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Again, a very unpopular opinion, I'm sure. But there's something about that movie that does not connect with me except for Spock's death. Everything else just does not connect for me in that movie, and I don't know why. So, but anyway, I feel like there's a lot going on. Probably going to get some hate for that, but I feel like there's a lot going on in in Beyond. No, it's, it would take it's a lot fine that you to... feel that way. Like I'm, I, I know that my opinion's a minority on Beyond. I don't know. I don't. I don't understand why people love it so much. You don't understand why people love Con. Fine. I mean, I think you're insane, but everything's I'm insane because I don't like Beyond. I mean, like I don't know. It's the same thing. It's it's two sides of the same yeah. coin here, right? And that's 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 wonderful and that's great. And I have absolutely no issues with the fact that you don't like. The Wrath of Khan. That is, that's fine. But all I'm saying is that when I left The Wrath of Khan, the first time I saw it, I had no questions about what was going on in that movie. I understood it completely. And when I left this movie for the 
third time, I'm like, who is this guy? Why is he doing this? I don't buy it at all. Well, you have yeah, to read well, the comic I mean, book. Yeah, but 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 I mean, but you, but different different people can have different perspectives because when I right. saw Wrath of Khan the first time, I was like, you know, what is going on with this? And I don't buy it, and I don't get it, honestly. So it just really depends on the perspective you bring into it. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's change let's anyway. change gears a little bit here. <laughs> let's even if you didn't like the movie there must have been a reference or an Easter egg or something that you like, that's your favorite. So let's just go around the horn here and name your favorite scene or reference or Easter egg that happened in this movie. Yeah. I just want to say that I feel really singled out in that whole lead up to that. <laughs> Even if you didn't like hey, the movie, hey, I'm, there had to be something you liked. And I feel really singled out here. Well, and I'm, I'm like, I'm talking to all the boomers. I'm, I'm talking to all the boomers here, not just you. I mean, you're representing, <laughs> you're representing a, you know, a fourth, of the audience possibly here, you know, I mean, I don't think I'm representing a fourth of the audience. I think, I think I'm ready. representing four of the audience. Oh, maybe. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, even if this wasn't your favorite or, you know, even if it's not you, there's probably something in here that references something that you do like or love. I love know? the Beyonce song. The what? The Beyonce song was it Beyonce? No, Rihanna. Sorry. Oh, I love the Rihanna song. Nice. Okay. I thought the song was good. Uh, I thought the special effects were really good. I thought there was a, there was some really beautiful shots. You know, the warp effect was really cool. I did not like that shot, that weird fisheye lens that they'd put on the Enterprise when it warped out of the Yorktown. I thought that was ridiculous. I did not like that at all. And it's it's weird when they do something so drastic. Like, uh, we're kind of recording these episodes out of order tonight, but in the last episode of Warp 5 that we're going to be recording in about an hour, oh, no. I'm going to mention, will have mentioned, the weird wipe that we see in North Star and how that completely pulls me out of the episode because you never see a wipe in Star Trek anywhere. And there's a wipe in the editing of the of the episode. It's weird when they do something so drastic that's not within the style of Star Trek. So well, I didn't What if they turned that. the camera around? Suddenly George Lucas edited it. <laughs> yeah, maybe George Lucas edited it. You're right. So, but um, I liked, so I liked Jayla. I thought Jayla was a great character. I thought Jayla was a great addition. I've enjoyed reading her character as we've gone on in the comics. I think she's a wonderful addition. And if we do get a fourth movie, I do really hope we see her again. I, I don't enjoy the Kelvin timeline, but I want to see another one because you know what? I want to like the Kelvin timeline. Right now, my favorite part of the Kelvin timeline is the comics. Thank you, Sarah Gatos. I love you. Very good. So, Jeff, what was your uh, favorite reference or Easter egg or something that was dropped in there that made you smile or laugh when you watched this? Um. That would take longer than we have for the entire podcast. Well, just, let's, let's, just name, let's just name a couple. Of it, you know? um, He's got 47 of them, okay? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, at least. Um, I mean, one thing that I really liked was the fight music in uh, the, the score. Sounds like it was lifted straight out of the original series. Um, the instrumentation is very similar, and the, the beats are very similar. So it's like it, it flows right into this... All of a sudden, you're in an original series with the da 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 da, you know that kind of, and that was that was really cool. And I'm just I'm watching the movie, and I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, and that that was a really nice aside to the original series. There, there were some direct quotes from original series episodes, um, like where there was a, you know, like I said, they showed the Corvomite maneuver right before we watched this, in which. Captain Kirk is saying that there is no such thing as the unknown, only the temporarily hidden. Yep. And that's exactly what he says yep. when he's talking to the crew as they're on their way to ultimate. Yeah. Um, you know, there's little bits like that throughout the whole thing. And that was really great. I like that. Um, you know, and apparently Brandon didn't, but because uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of those little Easter egg nods that, uh, that I you remember when they said that in the episode. 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 <laughs> But you know, then there's then there's the times when they they take your expectation and they throw it on the head because you know all of a sudden Chekhov has scotch. Mm, that's right. He was a Navadka guy, right? So yeah. So Justin, what? what... But that set up the joke at the end of the episode, which is the callback to Cat's Bar. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, Justin, what stood out to you? Like, what was a, a scene or a reference or an Easter egg that really made you smile or that you liked about it? 
Well, there's there's a lot of references. I'll just mention a few. I mean, so one of the things I loved was that, you know, in addition to the Franklin being, you know, a Warp 4 ship and fitting it into, you know, the Enterprise era, when they're talking about the ship, it has polarized hull plating. It yep. has transporters that are rated for cargo. It has spatial torpedoes. It even has pulsed phase cannons, which I think they don't even talk about until the Columbia in Season 4. So there's really some deep, you know, continuity and things that they mention there. Mm-hmm. But probably one of my favorites is something that's a really subtle reference because they talk about the Franklin being lost in the Gagarin radiation belt, and that's something that's mentioned in the Enterprise episode Strange New World. So it's something that that they're not, you know, I think, slapping you across the face with it. But if you've seen the episode, you'll pick that up and be like, ha, I know I know where that reference is or where I've seen that before. So I, I really like that. And those references are different. Like, those yeah. I feel completely different about the types of references you just said than when they're calling back to lines that were said in previous episodes. To me, those are two completely different things, and I like one and I don't like the other one. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. In this case, the the, the line that Kirk gave that was the same from Corbinite Maneuver, it works for this one because that would be something that he would say in that situation. And that's the time that... Kelvin Universe, Kirk says it because there wasn't a um, was, couple, a couple of years before it still. Well, I mean, but I'm uh, saying that's yeah. when he said it because there may not they may not mm-hmm. ever meet Balok. You know, I mean, I haven't mm-hmm. read all the comics. I don't know if they actually did, but that might be when that not happens. Yet. You know, but but let me just say I found some references that Brandon likes, so my work is done here. <laughs> Woo! <Yeah. laughs> well, for me, I liked. Like when they said that they were going to beam, they had to beam Spock separate from McCoy. Well, McCoy's reaction with the, you know, that's just typical. That was awesome. But when the Scotty's explanation is we wanted to do it separately so we didn't splice you, that brings me back to Tuvix. You know, that makes me think of Tuvix. I automatically thought of that. Uh, when they were talking about Kirk. For, you know, first thing I thought of that was uh, actually the uh, Star Trek Three mind mill. Oh, yeah. So because they were sharing a body there. That's true. That's true. And then uh, Kirk's promotion to vice admiral. That was mm-hmm. that yeah. was something you know that made me think of generations when he tells Picard, "Don't don't do it. Don't take a promotion." And now here here he is. He's trying to get promoted. You know again, but he doesn't take it. Um, the the green space hand. <laughs> when they mentioned that, they mentioned the green space hand. And then if you better be watching in the credits. Because it comes. This is the first time. This is the fourth time I've seen the movie, and the first time I actually was able to watch close enough to catch it. I I saw it. Yes, I finally saw it. I saw it. I caught it, but it was like about a hundred feet across when I saw it. Yeah, I was sitting in the theater and I saw it, and I turned to everyone that was with me. I was like, "Did you see that?" Nobody saw it. I was like, "Oh, whatever." But my favorite, my favorite, my favorite, and this might be why I liked the movie because it got started off on this foot. Is when Kirk just mentions to him, mutters to himself, I ripped my shirt again. <laughs> that was, that was my very favorite one. And that got the movie started. And that was like, okay, here we go. We're in an episode. You know, this is like an episode. He, he ripped his shirt again. Here we go. So, um, final thoughts here for, uh, enterprise showing up so much in beyond, uh, Brandon, how, how did you, did you, did you enjoy, did you like seeing that Enterprise was referenced so much and beyond? Yes, I did. I, as I said earlier, I love that Enterprise is overlooked frequently. I thought it was wonderful that they brought that continuity in there. I thought it was, I thought it was wonderful that the guy was a Mako, that they made these references, that they referenced the Zindi Wars, because these are events that happened, that they referenced the Romulan Wars. So those were some fun, fun things to take out of this movie. Cool. And then Jeff, what did, what did, what were your final thoughts on it? Um, I just loved it. It was a lot of fun for me. And, you know, uh, apparently unlike the NX-01, the Enterprise uh, 1701, at least in the Kelvin timeline, has a vault. Because (laughs) when the Ferengi came on in season one of Enterprise, they didn't have a vault, but this one does. Right. (laughs) Very good. Very good. And then Justin, what did you, what, what, what did you think about it? I loved all the Enterprise references, and for me, we didn't get a chance to talk about you know my fandom or how I got introduced to Enterprise, but I actually saw Enterprise for the first time only about two and a half years ago. So um, for me, it was really fresh, and I was like, oh, I, I love Enterprise. It's one of my favorite shows, and I love all these references they're putting in. I think it's awesome, and we'll see if we get you know other Enterprise references and you know further 
Kelvin Timeline movies or in Discovery or, or other shows. But, you know, even if this is like the moment, I really love that. And I feel like they're on the Franklin more than they're on, you know, the, the Enterprise. So I feel like the Franklin and the Enterprise era is really the star of the movie. And I love that. Very good. Yes, I loved you know, of all the references they had to original series episodes, things like that, when I was just grinning from ear to ear every time they were making the connection to Enterprise, you know, and the and the Franklin ship is awesome. It looks great. And, um, you know, Kirk asking Sulu if he could fly it, you know, that's a great line, you know. So, which, by, by the way, I have to say that Urban had... McCoy, Urban's McCoy had the best lines in this movie of the three of the three. I think Urban's McCoy had the best lines, even though, you know, Simon Pegg gave himself some good ones. You know, I think that was, I think Urban really, I think, I think he stole the show in my opinion on that, but yeah, just getting to see uh, enterprise, the universe of enterprise and that time being expanded just makes, made me smile really big on that. So I really appreciate that about beyond. Okay, thank you so much, Jeff and Justin, for coming on. So, Justin, if our listeners would like to get in touch with you to talk about uh, what you thought about Beyond or the little things that they noticed about it, what, how can they get in touch with you? Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. And you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. Very good. And Jeff, uh, if someone wants to talk to you about your possible theory, any other theories that you have that could help them build their head cannon, how can they get in touch with you? <laughs> well, um, I'm also on the Babel Conference on Facebook. I'm on Twitter at Harlander, and I've got my site, uh, trekopedia.com, where I've been slowly but surely building up my complete and total uh, encyclopedia of everything Trek, including the comics and graphic novels, the uh, novels, the games, and everything, and put trying to make it all fit together. Which, when you throw in the uh, the, the Fossa stuff from the '80s, that's not the easiest thing to do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Very good. So, Star Trek Beyond and its connection to Enterprise not the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. So, here's what else you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek FM, the Orb. After the captain's documentary, I think we all wish that there had been a piano in Cisco's quarters. And at some point in every episode, someone walked in and he was just over in the corner <laughs> rambling away. Warp 5. And there's a wipe from right to left in the screen. And you never see that on Star Trek. It completely pulls me out of the episode every time I see it. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Because I've, I've never, never noticed it before. I didn't notice it. Ever. Now I'm going to see it. Man. Okay. You just ruined the entire episode for everyone listening. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. The 602 Club. That's a really smart idea uh, because that's also something that, you know, Caesar sees is that we're not that different. The Ready Room. As with so many places, they CBS and marketing the show and getting it out to as many eyeballs as possible. They're obviously wanting fans and armchair fans and maybe would-be fans, genre fans who might give Star Trek a t- But they're still trying to get out to the great unwashed and the mundanes. And, and this is actually stretching the season out beyond 15 actual weeks. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And while you're there, please leave us a star rating and written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've still got you covered. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file or grab the RSS link from our website. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways you can do that. The best way to join in the larger discussion is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook and join in all the fun. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. And if you'd like to send us a voice transmission, the comm officer has the frequency open. Just go to SpeakPipe.com slash TrekFM, record your message, and Brandon Shea will add it to a future episode. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Warp 5. That'll come right to us. 
If you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trekfm to get all the details. You can get in there and you can find all kinds of perks for patrons. You can, for $1 a month, you can actually be helping our network. But for $5 a month, you actually get access to the patron zone. And then it goes up from there. You can get producer credits. You can get exclusive content in the patron zone. And you can just help out more and more in the network. So if that sounds good to you, please visit patreon.com slash trekfm. Thank you so much for that. Also, if you can, if you want to wear your Trek FM fandom, you can find great Trek FM themed merchandise at trekfm.store. I always like to thank our co-associate producers, Mike Morrison, Tim Cooper, and Justin Oser. I also like to thank Brandon Shea for editing and publishing Warp 5 and Tony Robinson for creating the very cool show art. So, Brandon, if our listeners would like to talk to you about this block of episodes, uh, how could they reach you? Well, you can find me on Twitter, at Brandon Metella. I poke my head up every once in a while in the Babel Conference. And you can find me here on the network with new episodes of Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of Star Trek, as well as over on the Fandom Podcast Network with my friends Chris and Tom, where we have our podcast called Good Evening, an Alfred Hitchcock podcast. And Floyd, where can people find you if they would like to talk to you? Well, I poke my head up in the Babel Conference, usually. That's probably the best place to find me, the Trek FM listeners page on Facebook. So, Boomers, thank you for listening, and join us again next time for another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>